Father, we just want to still our hearts before you now. And we choose to fix our eyes on you afresh. We choose to align our hearts to you once again. We choose to come back and say, hallowed be your name. And would you speak to us through your word, Lord? I pray that it would be your word that would be spoken into people's hearts, not just mine, and where those words would land in each of our lives, in a place of challenge or in a place of encouragement, um, that you, Holy Spirit, would bring the fruition, the fruit from all of that, Lord, in a way that would glorify your name and lift your name high. So we just ask you to fill us afresh right now with your Holy Spirit. Speak your word. Focus our hearts and our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So for those of you who maybe are new for the first time or if you've been on holidays for the last couple of weeks or whatever, we've been going through this series called The Marks of a Disciple. Oh, I forgot we clickers here. Good man. Uh, the Marks of a Disciple. Uh, basically, we're looking through, it's John Mark's play on words. We're looking at the book of Mark and seeing what the marks of a disciple are. What are the traits of someone who is following Jesus? And if we are serious about being not just believers, but followers of Jesus, what are the things that should mark our lives? What are the traits that should be evident in our lives? And so we've looked at things in the past few weeks, like walking in his authority. We've looked at how we are to be a people to withdraw to the quiet place and to lift our hearts in prayer to him. We're to bring those that we know and others and ourselves to him because he alone brings healing both for sick bodies, and we believe that, and for sick souls. And so this week we look at, a, for me, what is a subject that is quite a buzzword in the Christian faith and the Christian world, particularly here in the home of the Trebek in Northern Ireland. <laughs> Hospitality. Okay. Hospitality is a buzzword, like I say. It's something that I think we can say we do well to a certain degree, but I really feel challenged by this as I've been reading this in recent weeks. And I want to pass that challenge on to you because I think beneath the heart of it all, we have a way to go yet. <laughs> we have a way to go yet. And I think what happens is we limit hospitality to those who just have a gift around it all. I want to show that hospitality is something that all of us are meant to offer. It's a part that's meant to be of all of our lives, every day, every moment, not just in the, the places and the spaces that we have in our minds. And we'll look at that in a moment. And so what I'd love to do is just remind you that these little books that we have, it's just a gospel of Mark. If you'd love one of these, um, we do have some of these available. Just come and see us at the end. Uh, and we'd encourage everyone just to, just to read through this as we're going through the series. In your everyday, we've been getting pictures of where people have been doing that. It's been fun to see that. But also, if there's someone in your life who doesn't yet know Jesus, but they're curious, then why not just pick up one of these today and just encourage them? Just give it a go. Read it for the next month. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to read this morning. We're up to Mark chapter 2. And we're just going to read four verses in all of this. But what I'm going to do is rather than just read it all together, you can follow along if you've got your book with you, if you've got your Bible with you, you can follow along on this to keep your place. But I'll have it up on the screen as well. And what I'm going to do is just try and do one bit at a time and try and unpack that to see what we can learn. So Mark chapter 2. This is uh, known as where Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. So once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. 
a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. So I want to I just stop there for a moment and unpack a little bit of that. You can see there's a, it says there there's a large crowd that has been following Jesus at this moment. Why is that? Well, he's been gaining a bit of um, uh, uh, a reputation as he has been preaching and declaring God's word, but also seeing the demonstration of his power and his authority by healing the leper and seeing the paralyzed man healed and all of this. So there's a bit of a, a scramble around Jesus wherever he goes. And where he's at, you'll actually see that picture that's in the background of that is um, just looking over the Sea of Galilee. It's this area called Capernaum. It's where Levi lives. And we get to this point where he calls this guy called Levi. Now, Levi, you may have heard him by his Greek name, that is Matthew. Levi is the Hebrew name. His Greek name is Matthew and all of that. That's probably how we know him more. But I want to use the name Levi this morning because that's where we're at. That's, this story is obviously one that causes a bit of a stir because it appears in three of the four Gospels. So in the retelling of the, the life of Jesus in the Gospels, three of them point to this. And so I think there's something we should take notice of in this because it's obviously not just something to create a stir, but God means it to be important for us to catch this. Now, Capernaum was a, uh, it was an important place in the trade route between East and West at that time. And so these tax collectors like Levi, how do we know he's a tax collector? He's sitting in a tax collector's booth. Hmm, simple. So he's a tax collector and he's collecting the taxes for the Roman government. Now, because it's an important trade route, it may have been that he was collecting input taxes for those who were passing through as traders. But we get this little insight there where it says that Jesus was beside the lake. He was beside the sea. And so it's more likely that Levi was taxing the local fisher folk, the local fishermen of the time. Now that's important. Why? Because all of the fishermen would have been Jewish. And Levi was a Jew himself. How do we know that? Well, his name is a Hebrew name, but the fact that it says son of Alphaeus shows his Hebrew lineage because that, that, that is a deeply Hebrew name. And so what we see is a Jew who is taxing the other Jews on behalf of this occupying government, the, the Roman government of the time. The Romans were occupying Israel. They were putting these tax charges on and people like Matthew who were among the people were to collect them on behalf of the Romans. It was in collaboration with Herod Antipas who was the tetrarch of the time. But if it wasn't bad enough that he was doing the work of the enemy Tax collectors at that time were known as being people who would have liked to fiddle the books and pocket a little bit for themselves. <laughs> they would have taken a little bit on top and the Romans didn't really care about it. Why? Because as long as they were getting their quota, they could do whatever they wanted. Now, we have nothing that says that Levi was doing this, but you've got to understand something, and this is going to be important as we go through. By nature of association, the Jewish people would look at whatever the majority was, then you're tarred with the same brush. And so they would have looked at him as being not just an enemy or a traitor. They would have looked at him as being a fraudster in all of this. And so he would have been, in their eyes, the scum of the earth. He would have been thrown to the sides of society. I've been reading some historical accounts of what would have happened to tax collectors. Here's some things that would happen. They would have been spat at as they walked down the street. 
They were isolated in local community. Most of them were even rejected by their own family. And almost every one of them would not have had an invite to a Shabbat meal. What's a Shabbat meal? It's a meal where the Jews would gather together to remember the Passover. An important and a significant moment of the week. Really important. And it was a moment where you were meant to come together and fix your eyes on God. What he had done and the coming Messiah. But these unclean sinners in the eyes of the people, because that's what they were, like Matthew, like Levi, would not have been welcome at the table. It's important. little side note and all of that, I, I find it like, how ironic that Levi's name in Hebrew means joined or attached. <laughs> and yet the one thing that he was was sidelined, unattached, thrown to the gutter. But this is where the grace of Jesus comes in and all this. this is where I find Jesus' heart so beautiful in it all. Because those like Matthew who were rejected by society and were on the sidelines, those who were the scum of the earth, Jesus says, come, now follow me. And it says in Luke's account of this here that at that moment, Levi left everything and follow Jesus. This truly was a moment where Levi had before the cross what we would call a moment of repentance, a turning away from the old life. I am following you, Jesus. I am walking with you. I am giving you my yes to journey life with you. And so we see what happens next. While, the tech, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So we get to this point where there's been a turning around moment, a repentance moment in Levi's uh, heart, where he decides to follow Jesus. What's the first thing that he does? I love this. He decides to host a dinner. Could have been a Shabbat meal, who knows? It might have been just a meal to celebrate new life. It might have been the first time that Matthew or Levi would actually have had people who would have wanted to sit around a table with them. Who knows? We don't know that. The one thing we do know is that in Jewish um, culture, when you wanted to celebrate something, you would eat food together. We know that because of the Shabbat meals. It was an important way of culture. And of course, as someone who's just decided, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus, Jesus is there at the table. He's sitting with him. And his disciples, but look who else, the tax collectors and the sinners. <laughs> what? And the Pharisees at this time, you can hear it almost in their voice. Why does he, why does he want to eat with tax collectors and sinners? We'll, we'll come back to look at that heart in a moment, but you can hear it. That there's this shame, there's this condemnation that's in their heart as they bring this across. You see, in Jewish law, you are who you eat with, and that's important, okay? If you eat with tax collectors and sinners who were deemed to be unclean sinners, then you yourself were ritually unclean. So it would be unheard of to bring tax collectors and sinners around your table with you. So why would this rabbi, who was calling people to follow him, have these people, these scum of the earth at the table? That's their viewpoint in all of this. The only ones who would normally have been okay 
to have sat at a table with a tax collector would have been the following. Harlots and prostitutes, adulterers, publicans, drunkards, the leopard, the lepers of the day, the rejected and the marginalized, the worst of sinners in the eyes of the people. And this is the very table that we see here. And who's sitting at it? <laughs> Not just Levi, but God himself. What the people and the religious people of the day said, we can't sit with, God says, I have enough grace for that. I'm going to sit at that table. And he doesn't just sit with them. This is something I want you to get in all of this, because this is key to the heart of hospitality. He doesn't just sit with them. You can, you can almost read it in the passage. You can feel it in your, there's a, there's a welcome that's there. There's a come, sit at the table with me. Experience my welcome. Experience my grace. Of course, this hasn't gone down well with the religious hypocrites, the pious uh, teachers of the law of the time. Why is that? Because in their hearts already, they've been offended by Jesus. See, they, they are looking for ways to bring this rebel rabbi down. Why? Because he's calling out their religiosity. He's calling out their hypocrisy. And they don't like it one bit. So when they see an opportunity that looks in their mind to be a way to take them out, they start to gossip. That's what this is. Look, look who they're talking to, the disciples. Here, see this, see this Jesus you're following? Look, look at who he's eating with. Now, why would you want to follow that boy? You know the saddest thing for me every time I read this? Is that the Pharisees began with good hearts and a good intention to try and protect God's word. To protect his law. And they knew it to a T. And yet, when the Messiah himself, God himself, was sitting right in front of them, they were so preoccupied with their own religiosity, their own prejudices, their own trying to grasp on the power, that they missed that God himself was giving them an invitation to sit at this table. There were many people that sat around who were sitting at this table. And I just want to stop there for a moment because, see, it's easy to look um, with a little bit of distance and to look back at the Pharisees and say, ah, them old Pharisees. Uh, let me give you a couple of uh, little analogies and all this. And I want to just check your heart in this, okay? Let's put this story into the context of today's world, okay? So just imagine we were still waiting on the Messiah to come. Let's just, for a moment, imagine that. And we see this new Christian teacher. We hear of this new Christian teacher. He's making a bit of a name for himself. There's healings. There's proclamation of the gospel. And then we hear that he's at this dinner party <laughs> in the center of town. And who's he sitting with? He's sitting with those who have stigmatized diseases like AIDS or monkeypox. He's sitting with those who are deep in sexual sin, the adulterers, the prostitutes. He's sitting with the fraudsters and the tax evaders like Nick, Nick Leeson. <laughs> Imagine our outrage. Premier Christianity and Christianity Today would have a field day. There'd be blogs everywhere. Social media would be awash. Who is this guy? Look at the scripture. Is he living it out? No, he's not. Because <laughs> we cherry pick it out. I think it's fair to say there is a lot of us 
living today in this world who are just modern day Pharisees deciding who is righteous and who is not. Who gets a place at the table and who doesn't? And there's still a little bit of distance in all of that because we're looking at the world in general. Let me bring this really personal to us. Imagine if there was someone in this church, maybe one of us as a leader, someone else that you know as you look around right now. Maybe it's a leader in another church in the town. And you hear that they're hosting a dinner party in their house. But the local drug dealers are there. The local paramilitary leaders are there. The tax collectors and the fraudsters are there. The, those who are in sexual sin are there. There's maybe someone there who's suffering from HIV. Yeah, there's a few Christians that are in that make it okay. But all you can focus on is these other people. Shame on them. Would that be our reaction? <laughs> I ask you to sit with that this week and just check your hearts. Can I be honest? I, I've had to check my heart on that. I don't like what I see sometimes. But we have to be people who carry a heart like Jesus. What I am not advocating, don't get me wrong on this, I am not advocating a life of sin and hanging out in places with the wrong intentions. We are called to live wise lives. We're called to live lives that are pure and look towards him in our everyday. But here's a quote from a theologian on this that I found challenged me to the core. It's on this passage. And they say, Christians are called to live in the world, but not live like the world. Christians are called to dine with sinners, but not sin with sinners. Here's the thing. When Christians throw their lot in with Jesus, when we say that we're following him, that's what that means. Then we lose the rights to protect our own reputation. Why? Because it's not about us. It's not about how good our dinner parties are. It's not about how good a show we've put on. It's not about how good a person we look to to everyone else. It's do our lives reflect his welcome to the whosoever. That's the only reputation we should care about. Do our lives mimic his welcome, his invitation? I don't believe that's just a theologian that says that. I believe it's Jesus' words as well. Matthew 5, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, your hospitality, and glorify your Father in heaven. It's always been about him, pointing people towards him. Why? Because look at Jesus' response. See, this is his heart. He says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Or in the New Living Translation, I, I just love this, how it says it. It goes, I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And so I just want to say to you, after we're finished this morning, there will be some people here who would love to pray with you. If you're someone this morning who knows you're not following Jesus who knows you are a sinner, but you're, you're hearing that invitation into a life with him where the old life gets left behind and because of what he has done on the cross, you get to live a free life with him. Heal of your sickness, your, your, your spiritual sickness and have someone pray with you this morning. Please, please don't leave 
It's too important. It's got eternal consequences. Have someone pray with you. But if you're someone that <laughs> thinks you're righteous, that's us as believers, as followers of Jesus, here's my question for you this morning. Who is there room for at your table? Hey, come on, church. Who is there room for at your table? How many sick people, how many sinners, how many scum of the earth do you make room in your life to be hospitable towards? To really help them to feel welcome and part of your life. And I say to you, if you feel like you're lonely right now, be like Levi. Don't wait for an invitation. <laughs> Invite people towards you if you're feeling lonely right now. There's a place of welcome for everyone. But I really want to challenge us in this, in the application of this, because for me, can I be honest with you this morning, completely honest, sometimes I get frustrated at our idea of Christian hospitality. Too often, it's about simply entertaining. That's what it is. It's entertainment. It's more about hosting than it is about hospitality. It's more about being hosts than creating a hospital for those who are sick. It all feels very sanitized and Instagram perfect, particularly here in the North Coast. Look at what I can make. Isn't it great? And we spend so much time apologizing for the stuff that doesn't really matter, that the people who are sitting at the table who are meant to feel comfortable and welcome end up feeling insecure and apologizing on your behalf. It's just hosting. It's just entertainment. We are called to be a people like Jesus that remember it's not so much what's on our table as who is around it. That's the first thing we need to be keeping in our minds. Who is around our table? Who is it? See, all too often you can disagree with me over lunch if you want, but all too often I think for me it's people who like the things we like or hang out in the same social circles as us or look the same as us or have the same color of skin as us or believe the same things that we believe and come on church, that's not what it's meant to be. Look at that table. It's meant to be a table where people who look and behave and live a little bit differently get to come and see a little bit of the heart of God with others who believe the same thing. See, for far too often, we have made hospitality about the wow factor when it's made, it's meant to be about the welcome. We get so focused. Like I say, what's on our table? What are we going to do? Who's there? Do they feel welcome? That's the question we should always have in our hearts. Do people feel like they belong there? Are they seen? Are they known? Especially those who are far from Jesus, sitting with those who are close to Jesus, looking together to the love of Jesus and saying, I have found my place. And what I'm not saying, don't get me wrong on this, I always want to clarify this. I am not saying that we can't do things with excellence. Don't hear me wrong. We can still make people feel welcome with an excellent table in front of us. Of course we can. But you know what happens when we focus on that? We limit it to people who just have a gift of entertainment or a gift 
of hospitality. The good cooks like the Jenny Bristols or the Paul McIntyres out there. Those who have the fancy homes. Those who are the community gatherers. No. No, church. We are all meant to be hospitable people. Why do I believe that? Just look through scripture time and time again. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. First Peter. Romans 12, 13, practice hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It's there. It's right throughout scripture. Yet, we cherry pick it down into, I couldn't do that. We get so caught up on the what, on the where, on the when, that we forget the who and the why is most important. If you forget everything else, remember that. The who is at your table. Why are you doing it? Because you want people to feel you're welcome. I want to give you access this morning to show a few different expressions of hospitality that I have experienced in my life. And I want to just give these as a point to give you space and freedom that it doesn't have to just look a certain way. Okay, so I hope you feel the freedom in all of this. My first experience of hospitality, I have to say it, is in the home that I grew up in. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you, it wasn't a spectacular home, okay? Like I remember, my mom's sitting here, forgot she was here this morning. <laughs> it wasn't a... <laughs> we'll talk about this later. But can I be honest, it wasn't a spectacular home. I can, I can remember bringing friends home. Honestly, there were cupboards hanging off everywhere. The place was sometimes a mess because there were more kids than there were plates in the house. It was rough and it was ready. And yet, yet it became a place for the stranger and the sinner to feel welcome. The whosoever... There would even be those who were the righteous people who would feel welcome and at home there. I would waken up in the morning. Now, my mom and dad didn't smoke, but I would waken up in the morning with the smell of cigarettes in our house thinking, where does this come from? And it ended up, it was one of our neighbors, or it might have been one of my, my mom's brothers, my uncles, who were sitting at the table. My mom was just listening to them. They came and they unpacked what was going on in their life and they found a welcome. And that happened with our neighbours, Bertie White at the top, of, who was a farmer who lived by himself, and he found a place of welcome in our home. My Uncle John would come on a Sunday and he would just fall asleep because why he had unpacked all of his burdens and left them there that he could rest. Our Presbyterian minister would come into our home and he said he always would come alive because he just felt so relaxed and welcome. I can remember that word, him specifically saying, I feel welcome here. Far more than I have done anywhere else. And hey, it was the place where I met as a young boy growing up in not a very diverse society outside of Mekarah, a farming community, all races and all creeds in my home. Because they would host missionaries from all around the world, all colours, all creeds, found a place of welcome. And I am grateful for my mum and my dad showing us what hospitality was. But I want to show you that there's more spaces and places than that. 
See, it doesn't just have to be the home. When I was in Carlisle, I got deeply impacted by this family called the Chemlins. They were a Norwegian-American family. Who was their who? It was the estate families in Harabi. What was their why? They're not coming to church, but we want them to experience the love and the welcome of who Jesus is. So what did they do? They rocked up with a tent, a gazebo, a flask of tea and coffee, some juice and biscuits, and they were just faithfully present in that community. And I could tell you story after story after story of people who found a place of welcome and belonging over just what? A cup of tea and a biscuit. Here's another one. See, it doesn't even have to be us that does the catering. I can remember McDonald's on Saturday nights whenever I was working for Exodus and we used to bring the young people across afterwards. Why was that? Well, they needed a space to talk about what was going on in their lives, but we were so preoccupied with running programs and Saturday night events that we thought, why not go and have someone cater for us? At that time of night, where's the only place? McDonald's. Let's sit at McDonald's and just be present. Someone else catering, but allowing us to focus on the welcome for these young people. You know why that story pricks me in all of this? Because there were religious people who because we were in the same place with those who were coming out of the clubs would have heaped shame on us for it. There were parents who sat outside ringing their kids, get out right now. What are you sitting in there on a Sunday morning for? Unknown to themselves that their child was there, unpacking their heart and finding a place of welcome. You see, we just have to start somewhere with all of this. We don't need to have it all together. We don't need to overcomplicate it. It can be in our homes, warts and all. It can be across a coffee table. It can be in our lunch table at school if you're a child. It can be in our lunch table at work. It may even be a booth in McDonald's. If you can do it with excellence and it's your gift, keep doing it. Just welcome more people. Welcome different people. Welcome the whosoever that you normally wouldn't be around with. Different people need different spaces. One person might be comfortable coming into your home. Another person might feel totally uncomfortable. I'm not going to open up in that house. So just sit in a coffee shop. Sit in McDonald's. Go for a walk. Do whatever it is. It takes all people to reach all people. That is why I believe hospitality is for all of us. We are to practice hospitality. But sometimes that means taking our hospitality to places and spaces that we normally wouldn't go, just like Jesus did going to Levi's house. Let me finish with two examples in all of this, just to bring this home. I can remember being in Romania and we were ministering to a group of Roman Gypsy kids and we got to know that their families were living in a dump outside of Cluj. Why? Because society had rejected them. They needed to live there. Kids who, 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 who passed away there, the most common cause wasn't disease. It was they were trying to gather plastic from the bin trucks and they would get suffocated. Why? Because people had rejected them. And so we thought, how do we go? And super Christians will go and we'll try to offer hospitality and we'll bring them to a brand new mission center. And when we were there, Pastor Mihai, who was a Roman Egyptian himself, said, leave your Westerness at the door, Ricky, honestly. They don't need your pity. They just need your love and your compassion, but they need it in their terms, not yours. And so we went in and 
I thought we were offering hospitality. Can I tell you something? I get shown something about hospitality. And basically a little wooden hut with a fire on in the corner and barely food. And yet, I have never felt probably as welcome anywhere in my life. If I haven't challenged you enough, here's one more just for good measure. You can chat about this one over the dinner table. I remember being in Carlisle. There was a group of women whenever we were there in the church who had a deep love for Jesus in a way that they just longed for people to experience it. It took them to an establishment that I had bothered trying to explain to the trustees this is what these expenses are. It was a club, let's say there are young ears here, they're a club. it's a club where some women would dance for people and they get paid for it. You understand what I'm talking about? I admire these women because they took the hospitality of Jesus into that place and they sat and would pay for a drink and just talk to them about how much Jesus loves them. That, for me, is pushing hospitality right to the edge. But you want to know something? Jesus would have been present through his Holy Spirit with them, equally present as he was at Levi's dinner table. And so I ask you this morning, this is your challenge for this week, not just who needs room at your table, but who needs your hospitality? Who needs your hospitality? You know John Mark's taste in music and mine are a lot different. And, but sometimes he does throw a gem. He does throw a gem up there. And this is a song that when we were in Carlisle, he, he read this to you as a church family. And I remember listening online and it deeply challenged me so much that one of the types of people that are in this, we've ended up living beside. So I challenge you as I read this, just ask God, who who is it that my heart's twinging for? Because maybe that's who you're meant to go alongside. And that doesn't mean you can do it right away. You can chat to people about that. You can get pray, prayer at the end and have someone pray for you if you're really broken by this. But I think there are people who are rejected and on the margins of society who need us as his people, as his followers, to go with the hospitality and the welcome of Jesus. And I'm challenging us, church, as we listen to this, who needs it? Who are you called to go alongside? I'm just going to read this, then I'll pray and we'll worship. It's called Breathe Deep, the Breath of God. <laughs> Politicians, morticians, Philistines, homophobes, skinheads, deadheads, tax evaders, street kids, alcoholics, workaholics, wise guys, dimwits, blue collars, white collars, warmongers, peaceniks, Breathe deep. <laughs> Breathe deep the breath of God. Breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God. Suicidals, rock idols, shut-ins and dropouts, friendless, homeless, penniless and depressed, presidents, residents, foreigners and aliens, dissidents, feminists, xenophobes and chauvinists. Breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God. Breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God. Evolutionists, creationists, perverts and slumlords, deadbeats, athletes, Protestants and Catholics, housewives, neophytes, pro-choice, pro-life, misogynists, monogamists, philanthropists, blacks and whites. Breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God. 
Breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God. Police, obese, lawyers and government, sex offenders, tax collectors, war veterans, rejects, atheists and scientists, racists and sadists, biographers, photographers, artists, pornographers, breathe deep, breathe deep the breath of God. Breathe deep, breathe deep the breath of God. Gays and lesbians, demagogues and thespians, the disabled preachers, doctors and teachers, meat eaters, wife beaters, judges and juries, long hairs, no hairs, everybody, everywhere. Breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God. Breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God. So, Father, we come before you as a, as a God who loves unconditionally. Not in a way that you um, condone sin in lies, but you don't condemn either. You say, come and leave it at my feet and breathe deep my breath, my life-giving breath, and I shall bring you new life, a new life in abundance. And so I want to pray and speak that over us this morning, Lord, that the whosoever in this room, listening online, out in the cafe, in this community, across this neighborhood, across this nation, would breathe deep the breath of God because they have experienced the welcome, the hospitality of a God who created them for a relationship with him and wants to welcome them into that. So Lord, if we have been challenging this this morning, I pray where that is just a fleshy challenge that that'll be eradicated. Where it's just weighty for weighty's sake, it'll be eradicated. But where there is Holy Spirit conviction that we will feel challenged to go, to be his heart and his witnesses, his salt and his light, to be the physical manifestation of his welcome here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things through your name and through the power of your spirit and for the glorification of who you are. Amen.